We have the opportunity this morning to look at the Word of God. This morning we do that from Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore it says, He who ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but also that he also descended into the lower parts of the region? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, and he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by the wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, which each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And may God use the reading and the teaching of his word, may it apply to our lives today. Uh, as we gather together on these combined worship Sundays, I try to take a little bit of time for us to think a little bit about what it means to be a church. Uh, and so since we're together here and we're thinking in terms of that, uh, I, I like to spend just a little bit of time thinking about church. And so it, it was a couple of combined Sundays ago that we talked about Romans chapter 1 and verse 7 where it talked about the fact that you are loved by God and that you are called to be a saint. And we've been talking about that ever since because that, that really is a core understanding of what it means to be church. You are loved by God and you are called to be a saint. Last time we gathered uh, together uh, for combined worship, we spent some time looking at Ephesians chapter 5, and it's this passage of scripture that we often talk about in marriage, about how much uh, the husband is to love the wife, and the, and, and, and the, rela the relationship to the husband and wife, and then usually when we talk about that in terms of husbands and wives, we just kind of put at the back end of it, it says, oh, and this is the way that Jesus loves the church. But last time when we looked at it, we wanted to spend all of our time just reminding you that Jesus loves this church. And he gave his life for this church so that he can present this church as holy and blameless. Blame. That's the word. I was trying to pull it out of you. Um, without blemish or blameless. It's two different words, same idea. Uh, that's what he wants to do with you. He wants to do that for you. 
And this morning, I want us to turn our attention just back a page in Ephesians and look at Ephesians chapter 4. And what I want you to notice here in Ephesians chapter 4 is that our faith begins individually but is lived out as a group experience. Our faith was designed to be lived out together. It's designed to be experienced together. In fact, as we take a look at this passage here in Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to notice some of the hints that it's talking about the fact that our faith is to be lived out together. It talks about living your life in a manner, living out your faith in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You are a believer in Christ, so how do we live like it? And then there just begins to talk about these descriptors. It says, with all humility. And it says, with all gentleness. Now, we don't hear that right away in that passage, but humility and gentleness, those are group experiences. If you lived entirely by yourself, you know, you, you got all cast away, you wouldn't have to worry about having humility. It'd just be you. You are better than anyone else that exists. You, you are it. You're by yourself. When it talks about gentleness, if you live just all by yourself, it's just you. you. You can be as rough and as gruff as you want to be. There are these hints that our faith is a group experience. But then listen to it in verse 2. It says, all humility and gentleness. And then it says, patience. Now, patience is a word that triggers us. It says, now we're talking about other people. You know, if it wasn't for other people, I'd be the most patient person in the world. You know, if it wasn't for other cars and traffic, I'd be the most patient driver around. Patience tells us, wait a minute, this faith that we're supposed to be living out, it's a group experience. And then the circle gets a little bit tighter. It says that we live out our faith with all humility and gentleness, with patience. And here it is, bearing with one another in love. To live out our faith means we got to put up with people because our faith is to be lived out together as a group experience. It is not on the side of our faith. It is not a small print of our faith, but our faith is to be lived out together. To live in a manner worthy of our calling means that we bear with one another even if one another happens to be a knucklehead. Scripture tells us that we live out our faith bearing one another. You wouldn't have to bear with somebody if everybody in the world was perfect. It would just be a world of giving everybody high fives unless you didn't like high fives and nobody would give you a high five. We bear with one another because that builds into the fact that sometimes... We have imperfections and we have difficulties and we make life hard sometimes. And then it says that we bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Our faith is a lived out experience. It is a together experience. And what we call that together is called church. 
That's what it means to live in a manner worthy of our calling with all gentleness and with humility and with patience, bearing one with one another and eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That is church. It's describing a healthy church. And that's our goal. We're not necessarily born a healthy church. We have to be intentional to be and live and grow as a healthy church. And here at Woodland Park, we want to be a healthy church. Right now, we would settle for being a not crazy church. That's, that's kind of step one is not crazy. And then we want to work our way to healthy. And I think that this is a church that is an increasingly healthy church all of the time. And I'm grateful for that. But I want to spend just a little bit of time in this passage thinking about what it means to be a healthy church. In fact, I think that in this passage of Scripture, we can find healthy church described in three simple words. Healthy church described in three simple words. The first word is one. You heard that when we read it, didn't you? Go back to chapter 4 and verse 4. It says there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all. You see, if we're going to be a healthy church, if we're going to grow as a healthy church, one of the things that we have to do is that we have to identify where that unity comes from. You see, anytime that we gather a bunch of people together, there's lots of different ideas. There's lots of different personalities. There's lots of different preferences. There's lots of different strategies. There's lots of different ways in which we can do things. And if we build a church just on our ideas or our personalities or our preferences or our strategies or ideas or any of those things, if we build a church off of those things, then we will be one of the most scattered, confused bodies that we'll ever find. If we're going to bring this many people together into one room to be a living body, we're going to have to find unity together. And that unity comes from these seven things that Scripture says. Listen, when we come together, we want to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And here's what it is. It is one body that is, we belong to the body that is Christ. There is one Spirit, one same Holy Spirit. Listen to this. If you are a believer in Christ and you have received His forgiveness, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And so every single person in this room that is a believer in Christ shares the Spirit of God living inside of them. Not a Spirit of God, not some Spirit of God, but the same Spirit of God. Man, if that doesn't pull some things together, that inside of you is the Spirit of God. Inside of you is the Spirit of God. Inside of you is the Spirit of God. Inside of me is the Spirit of God. That one thing pulls us together. We have one hope. We have one hope that when all of this world is done, that it'll be Jesus on his throne that calls his people home. We have one hope that this is not the end of the journey. In fact, one of the things that we've been saying and think it's on the cover of your bulletin this morning, hope is here. Hope is here. One hope. Jesus is that answer. We have one Lord. 
one authority over our lives, one source that says, what do we do? We do what the Lord Jesus Christ calls on us to do. We have one faith, the belief that we give our lives to Jesus and we put our lives under his authority and under his grace and we believe that it's not what we've done but what he has done that makes the difference. We have one baptism that celebrates that the only way to know God is through Jesus. We have one God and Father who is over all of it. A healthy church finds its identity and its connection and its uniqueness anchored in the person of Jesus and a unity of faith. I'm grateful for the unity of this church. But I want to keep that in front of us all the time because we always need that reminder. I want to keep it in front of us because the scripture reminds us if we're going to keep the unity of the Spirit, we've got to keep our ones in place. One faith, one Lord, one Spirit, one body, one faith, one baptism, one God. That has to be central before all that we do. One. One. The second word that I would give to us is the word each. The word each. We find this word in verse 7. It says there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. But verse 7, but grace was given to each according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Now, there is one body. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one spirit. And that sense pulls all of us together. But I want you to know that you do not and are not intended to lose your identity. You exist. We don't just get amalgamated into this place where your personality, your gifts, your identity gets lost. In fact, here's the amazing thing that the Spirit of God lives inside of every believer who's in this room. But I also want you to know that God himself knows every name and every person and every story and every day and every moment of every person who is in this room today. He knows your story. There may be times that you walk into a crowd and you feel like you disappear and that no one notices you and no one is aware of who you are and no one cares about who you are. But I want you to know that God cuts through all of the universe and all of eternity and he knows you and loves you and understands every single piece of your life. The church is made up of each person. Now, in this passage of Scripture, he's not just saying that the church is made up of the eaches. He, he's not just saying that God sees every person, but he says that every single person has been given a gift by God. He says you have one spirit that holds all of it together, but at the same time, he says every single person who is in Christ has been given a gift out of the wealth of God's wealth. That's a lot of wealth. He, he doesn't run short. He doesn't run short of gifts. He says that you are given a gift based on all of the gifts that God has. 
And then he, he quotes from Scripture. He says in verse 8, he says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to the men. And what you have there is you have a common image of a conquering king back in biblical times. And when the king had been to war and he had been successful and he had defeated an enemy and he took home all of the wealth of the enemy, he would come back to the city and it would be a parade going in and in front of them, they were behind him, would be all of the people that he captured. And also around him would be all of the wealth that he had acquired. And so it becomes a parade, and as the king comes into the city, he, he just starts throwing these gifts to the people who are lining the side of the road. It, it's really the first Mardi Gras parade ever. Uh, just this parade where you just throw stuff out. The king says, here you have it, here you have it. Now listen, the apostle Paul says, listen, what you've seen some king do, out of the smallness, out of the little victory that he had with the town next door. He says, I want you to know that God does. He comes having conquered sin and death. And he comes with all of the wealth of heaven. And he gives to you a gift. And to you a gift. And to you a gift, 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 until he has given a gift to each person in Christ. Every person that belongs to the church has been gifted by God himself. Now he begins to list some of these gifts. In verse 11 he talks about you have apostles. These are those that have been sent out you have prophets, those who speak on behalf of God. You have evangelists who specialize in telling people the good news of Jesus for the first time. You have shepherds, those who care for souls and protect souls. You have those who teach. And he gives those gifts. And those individuals are gifts. He says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. In verse 12, these gifted ones exist to equip the saints for the ministry, for the work of the ministry. In other words, even these leaders, these apostles, these prophets, these shepherds, these teachers, these evangelists, they exist to give every believer a place and a work inside of ministry. Now, I'm thrilled with some of the things that I got to announce a few minutes ago about a new leadership slate that's coming, about new deacons that are coming, uh, about almost 60 people that helped make Fall Fest happen, about all the people uh, who worked uh, at the workday. Did you notice a full choir aloft the, this morning? All of the people that work in the sound booth, all the people that helped with the new and not yet uh, member breakfast, folks that helped check you in this morning uh, with your name tags, uh, folks that made sure the building was prepared and ready for you and uh, safe for you today, folks that are taking care of our kids this morning, folks that are doing children's church this morning, those are just a handful of the things that come from the giftedness that each person brings into the life of a healthy church. 
Have you ever driven by one of those signs that isn't quite working? There's a fast food chain that on the side of their drive through for every drive through it says quality is our most important task. I've yet to be to one of those drive throughs where two or three of those letters haven't fallen off. It kind of sends a separate message. It looks like a Wheel of Fortune game where you're supposed to guess what the missing letters are. You drive by a sign that's supposed to be a neon sign and it's supposed to light up and spell something, but because letters are missing, it spells something that they never intended to spell or you can't even figure out what it is. It's because there's some lights missing, there's some letters missing, things that are supposed to be there aren't there. I don't want that to be our church where there's a, a space, a letter, a light, a message, a word, a task, a gift that's been given to you on behalf of our church for the work of the ministry of this church. And I don't want us to suddenly look and there's a gap in that place. I want you to know, church, that you are loved by God, that you are called to be a saint. I want you to know that we have one faith and one truth. But I also need to remind us that you are gifted for the purpose of doing the work of God in many ways through the church that is your church. And so I want to remind you that we have one and there is each in a healthy church. And then I want to remind you about the last word, and that's the word all. Man, I love this. This is in verse 13. He says that, that each of you have been given gifts for the building up, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Oh, I love it. But listen to verse 13. Until we all attain the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood for the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know who is included in the church? All. All. Every person who is in Christ is supposed to belong to a church, to belong to a church family, to have a church home. Because God doesn't want to just do his ministry to some. There's no such, you know, you always worried in school that there was a teacher's pet and it wasn't you. And maybe you were the opposite of the teacher's pet. You always worried someone else is getting more attention. Someone else is getting more favor. The teacher cares more about that student's success. Man, I want you to know that God has no pets. He does not just care about a subset of people and says, I hope it works out for them. I hope they grow in their faith. He says, this is for the building up of the body of Christ until all, all, I'll say it one more time, all attain the unity and the fullness and the maturity and of the stature of who they're supposed to be in Christ. Oh, my friends, you are on a spiritual journey. 
You are in the process of moving from immaturity to maturity, and, and God wants to make sure that you move all the way there. Because the church exists so that all may attain that unity. In fact, he describes it in contrast here in verse 14. He says, so that all would attain the unity of the faith. In verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness of deceitful schemes. He says, God wants to make sure that all of you grow in your maturity so that you aren't just blown around. What he describes here is he describes the wind of doctrine, just a trendy idea just a trend that comes along, and this is popular. Hey, this is the answer to life, and it will be for 18 months, and then we'll move on to some other trendy idea to be carried out by human cunning, people who seek to trick us, even by the craftiness of deceitful schemes. It is the goal of God through His church to build you up so that even when the storms get rough and opposition comes, that you can stand firm in your faith. He says in verse 16, from the whole body that you're joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What does this mean for us this morning? Well, it means that your faith is best lived and is intended to be lived together. And so because of that, it is my challenge to you that you make church a priority. You were never intended to live your faith out by itself. It's too hard out there. You know, we, we, we watch the people on the Weather Channel in the middle of a hurricane, and they stand out there to show us how windy it is. And most of the time, we want to yell at the TV and say, Get inside. It's too dangerous out there to do that by yourself. Man, if, if, if you're trying to live your faith out with sincerity and commitment outside of the life of church, it's too dangerous out there to do that by yourself. There are too many things fighting against you. Church matters. I would also challenge you that we have to make sure that this is a church and not a club. We're not just here because we like each other. We're not just here because we went to the same schools. Well, we're not just here because we have the same kind of jobs. We're not just here because we vote for the same people. We're not just here because we like the same music. We're not just here because we, we have the same social economic structure. We're here because the Spirit of God lives inside of us, and we have one God and one faith and one baptism. Man, there's nothing wrong with clubs. As soon as one lets me in, I'll join. There's nothing wrong with clubs. But clubs are here, and the church, the church, 
because it's supernatural is a completely different experience. And so brothers and sisters in Christ, never settle for just a good day at the club when you come here on Sunday morning. The A club, an organization. This is a divine, supernatural place. The standards, the expectation, the demand on our life is way higher than just some organization that exists. This is a church, not a club. It means that everybody is in if they are in Christ, regardless of anything else. And then, I would just say to you that in this passage, if you go back and read it this afternoon, I want you to notice three different times it says, in love, in love, in love. Church is not just a place of duty and of assignment and of obligation and of guilt. It is a place of affection and it's a place of love. And we, don't all, we also don't want to ever be a church that can check all, check all the right boxes but we do it without love. Love for our Heavenly Father, love for one another, and love for the stranger who walks in here next. The church is saturated with love and affection. Let me pray for us.